You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lightning fans, you found the right show for everything you need to know about your favorite team in the NHL. It's the Lightning Insider Podcast with Eric Erlinson. Get ready for insight, historical perspective, interviews, and breaking news that comes from a reporter insider who's got near 20 years on the Tampa Bay Lightning beat. Now for the latest with the Lightning, here's Eric. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the LightningInsider.com podcast. I'm Eric Erlinson from LightningInsider.com co-host Greg Linnelli from Lightning Power Play, Lightning Radio pre-game and post-game and intermission host for all Lightning Radio broadcasts, which is Greg Linnelli. And we're coming at you here today with a little gap in the schedule, a rare gap in the schedule, if you even want to call it that, with two days off, before the Lightning and Dallas Stars rekindle their Stanley Cup rematch that we saw from Saturday night. And we've got a lot of topics that we want to touch on today. And with that, I'll jump right into it and bring in my good friend, Greg Linnelli from Lightning Radio. Greg, happy Sunday. E, it is great to be with you, especially coming off a an interesting game against the Dallas Stars, which we're going to dive into, but more importantly, what the Lightning were able to do against the Carolina Hurricanes. I'm interested to know the reaction when it comes to the fan base regarding the Lightning because I think a lot of people heading into that series they were kind of like ah, you know the Lightning aren't playing well and I'm concerned about where they are is Carolina the better team and like most things in life you got to have a little patience and you got to let things play out and yep. uh, I think boy does everybody's uh, tune change just a bit if you were on that bandwagon so to speak after what the Lightning did to Carolina and we should say the Dallas Stars on Saturday night pretty impressive it is. It's amazing what the difference a week can make in the schedule. Um, obviously, we know the starts, the pauses, and everything that Tampa Bay's had to deal with. Not quite what Dallas has had to deal with, but uh, a, a week ago on that Saturday, that first of the four games set against Carolina, they get shut out 4 to nothing. The second time the Carolina Hurricanes have shut out Tampa Bay this year, a Tampa Bay team that hadn't been shut out at all since 2019, the end of the 2019 season. So to be shut out twice by the same team within a couple weeks of each other, I, I think a lot of 
I don't want to call it alarms, but certainly amongst a lot of fans that I interact with, we're like, what's going on here? Is this team as good as we thought? And lo and behold, a week later, they've got four consecutive wins. They win the final three games against Carolina and then the uh, first of the two-game sets against the Dallas Stars. And it's a much different feeling around this team right now compared to where it was a week ago. And, and lo and behold, they go from fourth place in the division, jump right back up in the first place after Florida lost in the shootout to the Hurricanes on Saturday night. So it's, it's amazing how quickly the – thought process and the feeling can change about a team in a span of seven days. Yeah. And, you know, I've said this before and I'll reiterate it again. You know, I think Florida might be the more talented team when it comes to Carolina. You know, if we're trying to, to look at the top three teams in this Discover Central and maybe Chicago and Columbus get back into that conversation, maybe it's Dallas who ends up having a deep run and, and they get back into the conversation. But I think for me right now, at least, Tampa Bay, Florida, and Carolina are the three best teams in the division. I don't think I'm saying anything that's outrageous. However, while I do think Florida might be the more talented team and they have maybe more high-end talents, Carolina's the team out of everybody in that division, I've said this word over and over again, makes me the most uncomfortable. And it's not to say that the Tampa Bay Lightning can't beat them in a seven-game series. I think they would. But I think Carolina has a structure to their play that makes them difficult to beat night in and night out. And I thought the Lightning took Carolina's best punches over the last the two games they met. And they were still able to win games, which I thought was pretty impressive. And what that tells me is that even when Tampa Bay isn't playing their best, and some of that was because of Carolina, and when Carolina was playing maybe as well as they could have, talent usually played out as long as the lightning were working hard which they were the lightning had better players and their better players made more plays at the right times than carolina's did whether it was victor hedman sending a pass over to yanni gord coming down the right side and sniping it for the goal past reimer uh we had seen uh, fogel a couple of times for carolina in that same game not be able to to convert, but it's nice to have that luxury of having a 20 goal scorer on your third line who can give you some yeah. position flexibility and, you know, can, can make some plays happen. Or if it's Curtis McElhaney as your backup goaltender coming in and maybe having one of the better performances in nets this year. And I'll include Andre Vasilevsky when you factor in everything that McElhaney had going for him in that game, the fact that he wasn't getting many starts, he didn't look totally comfortable in his last start against the Florida Panthers. And again, he was going against a really good team who was pushing play for most of that evening. So when push came to Shovey, I still think as long as the work ethic is there, talent typically wins out in most things, in most situations, I think, in life. And I think Tampa Bay is just the more talented team than Carolina. And if the work ethic for both sides is pretty, pretty level, pretty equal, I think the Lightning are going to win more times than not. Yeah, that that's a fair assessment. Uh, Carolina is a very good team. I, they've, you know, I, I think that coming off of their season last year, the way they lost to the Bruins in the playoffs uh, probably still doesn't sit well with them. They they looked like juggernauts. Granted, it was against the New York Rangers in the play-in series, but they looked like a strong contending team. Then they go out losing five. Yeah, to the Bruins, and I and I think that they, I think that sits poorly with them as it should. Like you, you don't, you want to have a better performance. You want to go out. You're going to go out with your best. I don't think Carolina put their best foot forward 
in that series against the Bruins. And I think they came into this year with, you know, a little chip on their shoulder led by Rod Brendamore. I mean, they, that team plays the way Rod Brendamore played and that is in your face and relentless uh, as he did during his career and winning a cup with Carolina back in 2005. Um, they have a great defensive core. They have a very good system. They have top end talent and especially in Sebastian Ajo and Andre Sveshnikov in particular. Um, they don't have the depth that Tampa Bay has, uh, but their decor can make a difference. And the way the style of play that they have can make a difference. And I, I would be interested to see what they're going to look like. Not that Peter Morazic is a world beater, but he is their number one, and he's out now for a while, uh, what that team looks like with a healthy Peter Morazic, um, just because of the style of play that they have. And, uh, that You're right. I, Florida probably has the better talent, but Carolina is a better team in terms of the way they play. And if you're going to talk about which team would be uh, more of a formidable opponent when you get into a seven-game series, I, I agree. I, I don't say this too often. I agree with you, Craig. <laughs> well, look. It's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect for what Carolina We does. could be wrong. I mean, Florida, you know, as we said, as, as long as the compete level is there and you're working hard, I think talent complements it very well. And, and maybe Florida in a seven-game series, again, this is assuming they're taking on the lightning. It's more of a yep. hypothetical here. You know, maybe they get hot. Maybe Barkov is is a guy whose line takes over, and the Lightning really have problems handling him. Uh, that may happen. I, I mean, you know, maybe Ekblad has a, a really good series from the back end, and maybe Bobrovsky reverts to what he was, you know, five or six years ago when he was uh, bringing home some hardware, and he was considered one of the best goaltenders in the league. Ironically, I think when you look at those three teams, Tampa Bay, Carolina, and Florida, again, if we, we assume, and, and you know what, we, we could do it for fun. I mean, if you think Dallas is still one of the top four teams in the league, but because of circumstances, maybe they, they're just not getting off on the right foot this year, and, and maybe it's just not in the cards for them. Really, when you take a look at the goaltending out of those four teams, it's not that the Tampa Bay Lightning have an advantage in Nets. It's it's a huge advantage, and I'm I'm almost stunned when you talk about the gap between Tampa Bay's goaltending and those other three teams. Because I can make a very strong case that those three goaltenders that are the starters right now for those teams, whether it be you know let's say it's Udobin, but we probably think it's Bishop. But let's you know for argument's sake, it's it's Udobin. Let's say it's Morazic. And let's say it's Bobrovsky. I mean, that doesn't make you feel comfortable going into a seven-game series against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, maybe Ben Bishop narrows that gap a bit, but then, you know, I think there's questions about his health and where is he right now. The, the I think, gap between the Lightning's goaltending and those other three teams' goaltending right now as it currently stands is... You, you have to look at it and say that's a huge factor because I think every one of those teams has question marks. Carolina, you can make a case, doesn't have a starting goaltender. You can make the strong case Bobrovsky is no longer elite, and Dallas is looking at it like, all right, well, is Ben Bishop going to be healthy enough to be that guy for us if we even make the playoffs? The fact that there's such a gap between the best team in that division and and the other teams in that division who are vying for a playoff spot with their goaltending, I'm not sure there's that big a gap in any other division right now in hockey, and I think that's a huge advantage for the Lightning moving forward. We know Vassie's great. It's just the other ones, I think, are pretty ordinary. And for playoff teams, 
you know, typically your goaltender is better than average. And maybe I'm being too hard on those guys. I just, I'm not, I'm not too crazy about what they bring. You're not scared of Chris Treger? Yeah. I mean, look, he may be <laughs> yeah. that guy, but I mean, <laughs> you, you're, you're comparing him to Vasilevsky in a seven game yeah, series. Yeah, yeah. And you're saying, my gosh, <laughs> there's no doubt. There's no doubt that Tampa has a massive advantage in that over whatever team they play. And that's assuming if they can get out of the central division, that's probably still going to hold true. Yeah. Depending on how the, the semifinals go. I mean, he's, he's the best goalie in the world. I don't think, I don't think there's much argument on that right now. Uh, if, if you want to look at any goaltending uh, goaltender around the league, I don't know how you can make an argument for anybody, but Andre Vazquez. is it, is it heads and shoulders? I mean, is he head and shoulders better than that? The second, I mean, who would you even say is the second or third best goaltender right now? And, in the game, probably the only one you could consider would be Connor Hellebuck. But Connor Hellebuck had a terrible year two years ago, so he <laughs> had a really good year last right. year. Um, I haven't looked at his numbers this year, but not a whole lot of teams play defense up in that uh, that central or that northern division up there. So I don't know what his numbers look like right now. But uh, I mean, the way, and especially the way Vasilevsky's playing right now, like he is just—I don't know if you want to call it in a zone or confidence level that he has about himself I, I think you know Franz John the, the goaltender coach for the Lightning said the other day that Andre Vasilevsky has now won a Stanley Cup and you can't quantify what that means for a goalie's confidence yes. Yes. so we're talking about a guy who has been a finalist for this for the Vezina Award three consecutive years now he feels even better about his game oh I mean come on I, yeah I don't think I think there was a significant gap. Well, you know who's probably the second best? You know who's probably the second best right now? And kudos. What's that? It's not Carey Price. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it's Marc-Andre Fleury. Marc-Andre Fleury's 9-3 with a 1.59 yeah. goals against and a 941 save percentage. He's got three shutouts. Now, there's a guy who does have cups. But the question, I think, with Marc-Andre Fleury and Vegas, at least the things I'm reading, obviously we're not following them as much as we would have in a typical year, is that the coaching staff probably prefers Leonard, that there was some talk that Fleury was on the trading block before this, and you know now they, they kind of squelch that rumor that he's going to finish at least his contract out as a Vegas Golden Knight. He's having a phenomenal start. He's yep. got the credentials. But again, if you put him up against Vasilevsky, and, and I should say it's more like the Lightning offense against Flurry compared to Vegas's offense against Vasilevsky, I still think there is a there is a gap. Now, it's not as significant as what we're seeing, I think, in Tampa Bay's division or even the All-Canadian division. I, I think those are pretty sizable gaps right there. But point taken, I think what we're also witnessing, and this is something I hope fans appreciate, is when you watch greatness, embrace it. And I think, you know, we're watching Vasilevsky. This is kind of like, I'm, I'm not comparing the two, so please, you know, let's save the outrage here. Um, but, you know, it's kind of like when you watch Michael Jordan compete and he's just better than everybody on most nights. It's hard to do that with a goaltender, but you look at what Vasilevsky's put together, I, I think, over the last three or four years and the fact that he's, I mean, he's in the prime of his career, but he's only going to get better, I think, for a few more years before there's any type of decline. I think you just have to appreciate what you're watching in net because I don't think there's another NHL team that has that type of luxury with their starting goaltender. No, you're right. 
Um, and look, I mean, Flurry's playing out of his mind right now. Yeah. He's, he's, he's the only guy who has better numbers than Vasilevsky. We're talking about Vasilevsky who goes against the 1.7-something and his save percentage is 9.38. Yeah. I mean, those are just ridiculous numbers. Coming off back-to-back shutouts certainly helps um, bring those numbers to where they are, but his consistency level, I mean, he's allowed two or fewer goals in, what, 11 of his 14 starts this year? That's incredible. If my math is correct and always double check my math i could be off on that but it it's definitely 11 games i don't know how many starts he has off the top of my head but 11 times i, I mean that's just that's an other world goaltender going to another galaxy in terms of the way that he plays that's the kind of level that he's playing on right now and if you're gonna get that kind of goaltending and the lightning are going to play a structured defense like they did against dallas on saturday uh they're going to be tough for any team to beat and oh by the way by the time they get the playoffs, we do expect Nikita Kucherov to be back. Yeah, and you know what's interesting, too? A sign of a really good team. They had a little bit of a, a slip-up heading into that Carolina mini four-game series, and they righted the ship. They got better. You know, it wasn't perfect hockey the whole time, but they didn't allow losing three of four E to turn into losing six of seven or yep. losing, you know, five in a row, which we've seen the Dallas Stars do here. And now the Dallas Stars have some big problems. I think... It's hard to get too worked up about the regular season when you're talking about a team like the Lightning coming off a of Stanley Cup and who basically has everybody back and you know they're going to make the playoffs. I don't want to take it for granted. I understand that. But you know, the reason why these wins are so important in regulation here recently is not only are you securing your top four spot, but you're also putting a lot of distance between you and the non-playoff team. So there's a huge gap now starting to develop between Tampa Bay and Nashville, Tampa Bay and Detroit, Tampa Bay and Dallas. And now Columbus is eight points out of first place or where Tampa Bay is right now as we record this on a Sunday. And they've played three more games than the Lightning. It's not to say the Lightning won't come back to earth a bit. They may. And if they do, that's fine. But I think we both look at this and say one of the things that have made Tampa Bay such a really good regular season team, in addition to winning a lot of playoff series, it's really hard to beat this team multiple games in a row. And the reason is not only do they have elite talent up front, they have good coaching, Typically, Tampa Bay's goaltending over the last six, seven years, let's throw Ben Bishop into this category with Vassie, and then, of course, their backups have been outstanding. Their goaltending just has not allowed them e, to go through rough spurts where you look at it and it really sets them back if they lose 7 of 10. I mean, that just hasn't happened. And I think the reason, the main reason, has been their goaltending, and that's that's one of the reasons I think a lot of people are going to look at this team and say, yeah, in a seven-game series, it's going to be really tough to beat them because you've got to figure out Vasilevsky in a best-of-seven series, and that's tough to do. Having Sandy Koufax on the mound for every game, Whew. that's that's what it's like. Yeah. And, you know, you, you think about some of the great years that Sandy Koufax had yeah. for the Dodgers. Uh, that's what it's like. I mean, it's you, 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 I mean, the starting pitcher certainly has an, a major impact in baseball, but they only start once every four games, maybe five games in today's yeah. game. Whereas your number one goaltender starting every game. So uh, it, it's the ultimate uh, slump preventer for sure uh, because he can steal you a game sort of in the way McElhaney stole in some ways Thursday's game against Carolina with the way that they played. Um, but yeah, goaltending is always going to be the great uh, divider uh, between teams because you can play out of your mind and if you can't well, beat the goalie, then you're not going to beat the team. And I need you to write this article because I think it, it starts – it needs to have – some legs, particularly if he keeps up this pace. And time will tell. But, you know, we've seen guys write articles. What was it, uh, Greg Wyshynski, about Victor Hedman maybe being in the conversation as best player in the league. Let's go a step further. 
I think the next goaltender to win the MVP will be Vasilevsky. And if he keeps these numbers up, there's no reason why he can't be involved in that conversation. And really no reason why he shouldn't win it. I know they have a separate award, but the goaltender is part of the team. And think of another valuable player who's greater to his team than Vasilevsky. I don't think there is one. So I think I think that needs to get a little uh, some legs creeping up here. Uh, you know, it might be a different angle to take because of uh, you know, with Zoom it's it's hard to get those one-on-one features ease. It's it's tough to you know, really dive into a, a different story. I'm not hearing a ton of talk right now of Vasi being considered the MVP of the league, and I think it's time we all have a serious conversation about that because 12-3 and 1 where we sit right now, 938 save percentage, 1.75 goals against. And it's not like the Lightning have to play a structured game, game in and game out to win games. I mean, we've seen them be loose. And Vassy typically has always been there. So I, I, I think, you know, for me, right now I know Connor McDavid gets a lot of pub, rightfully so. You can't control who you're playing in that division. He may average two points a game when the season's all done. <laughs> and maybe he ends up giving that MVP award. But you name me another player who's more valuable to his team. Actually, you could probably put uh, Vasilevsky and Hedman in that category if you really wanted to, and I- I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation. Uh, it-, it is difficult for goalies to win the MVP. And, and in fact, in looking back here, uh, in-, in the post-Dominic Hasek era, only two goalies have won it. Uh, they've both been with the Montreal Canadiens, Jose Fedor in okay. 2002, and Craig Price in 2015. I would almost think, like, just in the, in the way the, the voting works. So this this is a rare instance where you could actually get this because of different opinions yeah. on, on who wins this award because it is the league general managers who vote on the Vezina Trophy for goaltenders, but it is the PHWA that votes on the Hart Trophy. So a uh, much larger pool to draw from, a voting pool for the Hart Trophy as opposed to the Vezina for sure. Uh, so that makes it a little bit more difficult for a goalie to win it. And just because of how bias is the wrong word, but it's down that path. It's bias. And it's going to be even be more biased this year because <laughs> you're you're only watching a certain amount of teams. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. I mean, and yeah. you brought the great point before the year began or once the season really started rolling is that, you know, people who aren't in this Canadian division, who aren't covering it, who aren't playing in it, you're not really paying attention to what's going on. And I can tell you right now, I'm sure the people in Canada are not paying attention as closely to the rest of the league as they normally would. And so because Connor McDavid is having the year, and, and let's throw in Austin, Austin Matthews. Matthews. Yeah, let's yeah. throw Austin Matthews in there. I mean, you and I know this because we, we have to keep dibs on what's happening, but we're not watching every game. But we also look at that division and say, you know, it's not exactly the um, – uh, the New Jersey Devils of the mid-90s with those traps playing defense up there. I mean, there's some shaky goaltending. There aren't very, very many good teams in those divisions, so are those statistics inflated. And while you can make the same case with Vasilevsky, I understand that. I think what he is doing is more impressive than what you know somebody else may be doing and putting up great numbers. I, I You know what it is? He may not win it, and that's fine. I, I think what I'm trying to do is just let's break break that mold of saying goaltenders can't be involved in that conversation. And I think there are exceptions to it. You mentioned the two goaltenders before. What the hell did those guys ever win? 
Uh, you know, Vasilevsky <laughs> is by far the most dominant goaltender in the league. And, you know, I know Carey Price is considered maybe the best goaltender of this generation. That's fine. Uh, I think Andre Vasilevsky is starting to have um, uh, some serious conversations about whether or not he is uh, that guy right now. I think he is. But I think we need to start breaking away from traditional voting and look at this for what it is and saying this guy is dominating games. And even though he's winning on a really good team, you shouldn't be penalized for that. That's fair. You shouldn't be penalized for it. Um, but we saw in some ways Nikita Kucherov was almost penalized for it. Right? It's true. A couple years ago, he had massive offensive numbers. And, and you know, some of the arguments were, he's not too good of a team. Of course, his numbers are going to be good. Even though his numbers were far and away better than anybody else in the league at the time, including Connor McDavid. He did end up winning the MVP award, but that argument was out there. So you're going to get that. I think people are going to have that view. And sometimes that's why it's better to have a larger voting pool because you do get some different unique perspectives sure. on these situations. And that's what you want. Um, but it, it is it is difficult for goaltenders to be in that conversation. But uh, you're not wrong that he deserves to be in that conversation, whether where, where it goes from there. I think part of the issue is, is that, Vasilevsky's playing in an era with Connor McDavid, with Austin Matthews, with generational type talents that are putting up some unbelievable offensive numbers, uh, despite the fact of their team's success. <laughs> like Toronto hasn't gotten out of the first round. Edmonton has only been in the playoffs once in the Connor McDavid era, uh, but yet because of how great of a player they are. And that's what's kind of lost in this, too. A lot of times people look at it and say, well, they're the best pa- player in the league, so of course they have to be the MVP. Well, that's not what the the essence of that award is. It's the player is judged to be most valuable to their team. And under those definitions, Andre Vasilevsky certainly should be a, a favorite, if not a, a top uh, favorite for the award, uh, because that's how people view it. Uh, unfortunately, I've, I've seen this argument that Connor McDavid should win the MVP every every year because he's the best player in the league. That's, it's not the best player in the league award. They I should just make a separate award for that. that. The best player and the most valuable. I don't, you know, because you know, if it's true that it's most valuable, you would have more defensemen and more goaltenders winning that award. Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, I think that's fair I, to say. I, I mean, the fact that that like, I think Chris Pronger was the last defenseman to win the Hart Trophy because it's difficult because these awards have been are being based too much. I think, in my opinion on point totals now taylor hall won it a couple years back because his point production was double what anybody else on his team was and that doubles team made the playoffs out of nowhere and i think people took notice of that um but but uh, it, it, too many times well gee this guy led the league in scoring of course he has to be an mvp you know we're going back and looking at the voting the year that steven stamco scored 60 i think he finished top three in the heart trophy voting but the team didn't make the playoffs but great, he had a great offensive year. Does that mean he's one of the most valuable players to his team? I am of the opinion, and I know there are a lot of people who are not, that your team has to be in the playoffs to be considered an MVP. Because if your team didn't make the playoffs, who cares what kind of year you have? You're supposed to be valuable to a, a, a contending and a successful team. Uh, Andre Dawson breaks that mold uh, in a lot of people's minds. I was surprised when he won that award for the Cubs a number of years ago. Um, so it's not best numbers, it's not best players, it's most valuable to the team. And uh, the fact that more goalies don't get that consideration because of the Vezina Trophy, 
I, I think that they're, that does bring in some of the buy-in. And that's why it's subjective. And that's why even when you see those awards and there's people who claim somebody else should have won it, you're not totally wrong. I mean, it's just it's kind of the way the system works. I mean, you're trying to tell me Nicholas Lindstrom wasn't considered the best player in the league all those years for the Red Wings? I mean, the guy yeah. was an amazing defenseman who would win Norris trophies and was a stalwart back there. I mean, we always talk about, you know, building a team and you want to find that elite goaltender or one who gives you the best chance to win. And then a lot of times, how many teams uh, are always chasing that lockdown defenseman? And I'm not saying they win every year. Obviously not. Look, when you play in an era with, you know, Crosby and, and Ovechkin and, you know, some of these other elite talents. Now we have Kucherov and Point and you had Stamkos, Victor Hedman throw them in there. I, I understand those guys, for the majority of the time, they're going to win that award. I'm just saying every once in a while. You can throw a goaltender a bone. You can throw a defenseman a bone. And maybe we do have to start separating the awards just a bit to say best player and most valuable player. And maybe you do the best player. Maybe that's one where, where the players vote on because they know. <laughs> you know, they know who the best player in, in the league is. And then most valuable, I, I think, then we can maybe you can expand the voting pool when it comes to that. Maybe you include coaches uh, maybe you include certain writers and broadcasters and if you want to sprinkle in some players in there fine and if you want to throw the fans in there that's fine as well but I, I think there's a, a creative way to come up with better answers for some of these awards than what we have right now yeah and well and the players do have their own award right it's the, yes uh, they do yes that's correct player, players mvp whatever it is uh, so yeah, it's it, it is an interesting um, perspective and a debate that comes up when goalies put up these type of numbers for the year. Should they be considered for the MVP? Let, let me ask you this question: uh, home ice advantage. So we know that most buildings right now aren't letting fans in, or they're letting a small amount of fans in their building. We're seeing more teams around the league: the the Rangers and the Islanders, and the, you know the teams in the North, Columbus and Asheville has expanded theirs. Arizona has been allowing fans in. Do you think winning home ice advantage because of what might be allowed in terms of fans coming in uh, by, by the time we get to May and, and think about the playoffs, do you think that that's something teams should strive for? Or do you think it doesn't matter because these teams are now used to playing without fans? I'm going to sit there and say I think – players are probably more comfortable having that home ice advantage and if push comes to shove they would certainly like that if there are fans in the building I think that makes it more intriguing but I want to say also too that because of what everybody's gone through the past year we've seen home ice advantage not mean as much as people think and I, I think we were starting to think that anyways I mean how many times E did the Lightning lose a game seven on home ice in the Eastern Conference Finals yeah. uh, to the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Washington Capitals back-to-back -back, or when you lost to Columbus in four straight. Now, granted, you win the Stanley Cup last year. I think home ice advantage is something to talk about, but I think here, I'll, I'll answer it this way. You and I have always said, for the most part, just get into the playoffs. So if Tampa Bay is an eighth seed, a sixth seed, or the number one seed, 
I think that basically answers the question. It really doesn't matter with a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning who can get hot and can beat you on the road or at home. Would they like to play the majority of those games on home ice or start the series out on home ice? For sure. I mean, I think any team would tell you that. But I think based off of the last year and what this team went through in the bubble with no fans watching them and even what's going on right now, I don't think it really matters. I I don't. I I think it's nice to have, but I I think for a lot of these guys, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I I think home ice advantage matters only in the matchup situation, right? Because we, you control matchups. And I know the lighting talked about that with the, with the bubble last year and going into that round Robin and, and how they viewed the round Robin situation and did home ice matter if you're, everybody's playing in the same rink for every game. But I think when it comes down to it, having that last change matters, especially if you're a team like Tampa Bay who maybe not be as strong in the face-off circle. If you can choose who you can send out for face-offs, especially the all-important defensive zone draws, uh, I think that part matters. Uh, I don't know if a loud crowd, while it will be a welcomed uh, situation for all of us to have fans back and, and to hear those cheers and those ovations and the oohs and the ahs that come with the atmosphere of an NHL game, especially a playoff game. Uh, I don't know how much that would factor into how a team performs, but I think home ice matters in any year based on the matchup situation and getting to pick who you send out for those faceoffs. That to me is a big deal. That's a fair point. You know, and the Lightning, as you mentioned, struggled in the, the face-off circle. I think maybe if you exclude the Lightning, a team who I think is is pretty talented top to bottom, it means more. But, you know, I, I think that is fair. And look, some teams may may play better and, you know, generate some more momentum with, you know, a crowd in the building. I, I just think we've seen from the Lightning what they can do. They're pretty mentally strong and I'm not sure it would affect them too much one way or the other, but you're right from our perspective, and I just think for watching the game on TV and making it more interesting, it's going to be welcome addition to see, even if it's just a couple thousand fans in the building. You know, it's funny, I asked, was it Steve Ersnick, uh, our game day producer, you know, I was like, do you think we'll see? Full capacity by the end of the year. And when I say end of the year, you know, Stanley Cup Finals, do you think we'll see a packed arena at some point? And I think the conversation was, you know, it depends on the vaccines and, and where everybody is at that point. I will be curious to see, once the Stanley Cup Final is played, how many people are in that building. I understand there's different circumstances that have to be dealt with before that really happens. But, you know, is it reasonable to consider... You know, a a half-capacity crowd? Don't be left out. Make sure you subscribe to the Lightning Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else where podcasts are found. Now, here again is Eric. I think it is. I mean, mean, that would be tremendous. What was the... uh, Sometimes I get so much information in my head, I can't sort it out, but... Was it was it what uh, Dr. Fauci said? Seventy five percent vaccination rates, and you can open up the full normal like everything in daily life. Uh, can we get to that point by May? Uh, with I think with the Johnson and Johnson vaccine being approved, I think we can. Does that mean we can fully open up by the time we get to the NHL playoffs? I don't know, but I I think it's reasonable to think that by the time we get to the Stanley Cup final, that you could have fifty percent capacity in the building as long as everything continues to to move 
in the directions that things are moving right now. And boy, what a, what a welcome situation that would be. Look, it's going to be great. And the team hasn't said anything yet, but by the time they come back and play on March 13th against Nashville, their first home game back after this road road trip. Right. I think, I think there are going to be up to 4,000 people in the building. And we've seen, you know, a smattering of about 500 or so in the last few home games, but boy, it's, it's going to be a massive jump from those 500 or so that we've seen to almost 4,000. Well, 4,000, the number is. Yeah. 4,000 is going to feel like 10. It, it will. Because you haven't and seen. I, and, and I think the players are going to notice that. And they will. And they will. And I, I think you're right. The interesting thing about Canada and their whole situation, again, this is looking down the road. You and I were talking about this a little bit yesterday or on Saturday night. I mean, what, what are they going to look like <laughs> with fans? I, I told you they're going to be, I think, you know, five years from now, they're going to still be in a lockdown mode. Of, of course, I'm, I'm joking a bit, but yeah. I, I don't, I don't know what their plans are. So I think there's there's certainly some gymnastics the league is going to have to do. But I certainly think here in Florida, it's reasonable to expect or anticipate more than half or at least half capacity once the playoffs begin, assuming there are no huge setbacks with you know outbreaks or issues with testing and vaccinations. And I think that would be a lot of fun. And you're right. I think, you know, maybe you don't need a, a whole, you know, 19 plus thousand people at Amelie Arena. 8,000 may seem like a sold out crowd. And I'm, I'm sure the players will be, uh, that'll be fun to watch. How much energy do they get from the crowd? And does their players, does their play suffer a bit? Because I think one thing you can, you can almost say is not having fans in the stands you're almost playing, I don't want to say an emotionless game because that's that's not the case, but you're probably a little more tempered than, you know, when you've got the fans cheering on, you get a big hit, everybody's going nuts, and you feed off of that. But sometimes maybe you take yourself out of position because you want to run around a little bit and the, the crowd's cheering you on yep. and the momentum is starting to build. But then, oh, wait a minute, you had a, a breakdown defensively because you were chasing a hit because the crowd was just so into it. I don't know. I'm just, I'm speculating. But I think one thing we've seen over the last year that's been pretty consistent with the Lightning's game has been structure. And I'd be curious to see, once we do get fans in the stands, and you are entertaining, because see, that's part of this. These are professionals who entertain if some of that structure is a little looser to start because of the fans and the momentum that you can get from performing in front of a live audience. Yeah, teams, players, coaches, they say it a lot that sometimes there is that pressure to perform in front of the home fans, right? Like you want to put on a show for your home fans and sometimes that results in a big hit. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think back to the 2003 playoffs. Yeah. 2003 playoffs. First time Tampa Bay has been in the postseason since 96 and the second time in franchise history. And the, the lighting started home. They're against the Washington Capitals. And obviously the crowd is going nuts. And the big hits and everything, it's, it's, just, it's just a great atmosphere. And you see Dan Boyle. Dan Boyle, 5'11", not known for being a big hitter, took out Dana Zubris. And Zubris was a big man, 6'4", I think Zubris was when he played for the Capitals. So he actually knocks Zubris into the into the bench. I forget which bench he knocked him into. So he knocks him into the bench. And then for good measure, because the crowd is erupting over it, he goes back and shoves him down to the bench again. 
you know, kind of like Gore, right? <laughs> so you want to talk <laughs> about the crowd playing into something yeah. a little bit, and it, it ends up hurting this team, even though it's a great, big, emotional moment. This huge hit, a Lightning fan base just starting to grow with success that the team has had, and then Boyle does that because he's he's amped up by the crowd. So there is that part of it uh, as well that can play into it. I'm interested, going back to the Canadian situation, and we don't know what the it may, what the end of May, at least the yeah the, the end of May, middle of June. By the time we start talking about a semifinal situation with the final four teams, if Canada hasn't opened up their border yet, and I would say at this point that's probably going to be the case, what do they do with that Canadian team? Because you can't cross the border, so in whichever series that that Canadian team is going to end up playing the U.S. based team. What what's the NHL going to do with that Canadian team? Are they going to put him into a a neutral venue and use another market to play games? Will they play all the games in the one building and there are fans in there and just switch home for the the odd games? I mean, that's I, I'm sure the league has a, a a plan in place for that. But how strange would that be if let's say a Toronto gets out of that division? And they can't play games in Toronto at the most important stage uh, of, and you know, we talked about the Maple Leafs not making out of the, the second round or out of the first round going all the way back to 2004 was the last time I think they made it out of the first round. Um, if they have to play in a neutral side venue. Well, let's say it's Toronto and Tampa Bay in the Stanley cup finals. I mean, what do, does each team I'm assuming, do they have to quarantine if they cross the border? Well, that's just it. You, right. you can't, you can't play in Canada. Yeah, if, if I mean, the situation stays the same. Exactly. Um, so they, they would have to open it up. But I mean, it, it, let's say if Toronto made their way to Tampa Bay, what are the rules in place for them? Do they have to quarantine for two weeks? No, not not those teams don't have to quarantine that long coming here. Gotcha. Right. Just just like look at the difference. Just go to the the Columbus Winnipeg trade, right? Like Pierre Luc Dubois goes to Winnipeg, he has to go for the 14-day quarantine situation. Correct. Whereas Patrick Laine, who flew a private jet, on a private jet, from Ottawa, where he had to get his paperwork done, to Columbus, he's on the ice practicing with the Blue Jackets, I think, in three days. Okay, so there was no there was no quarantine from going to Canada to the U.S.? It's it's a it's a little, it's a slight quarantine. Gotcha. gotcha. So as long okay. as you're on a private charter, and of course any team in this situation would be on a private charter, even with a you know a traveling party of 40 people. Gotcha. Um, you know, as long as you would have to undergo the, I think it's three consecutive days of negative testing to be able to be clear. I think that's the situation. So though I don't foresee those protocols changing for this season, uh, just as we saw the protocols not change in the bubble, those players, even though zero tests came back positive throughout the entire 65 day process, they still took daily testing. Uh, in that situation, I don't see those protocols changing, which is going to bring an interesting scenario. If um, you know, once one of those Canadian teams makes it to the final four, and it's guaranteed because of the playoff format this year, what does the league do with them? Do they go? You know, if if it's if they face say they face the Lightning in the semifinals, would you have the home games for Tampa Bay and Tampa, and then move Toronto to a Florida? So it's close and use their building down there. They would never allow it. Like it's interesting. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. I can't picture the Maple Leafs not having 
home games in that scenario. And so that's why I think you're going to see some backdoor dealing being done uh, when it comes well, to well, when it comes seen to the Canadian, We've seen the Canadian government very stringent on this, especially the Ontario Health Department. I mean, the OHL still isn't playing yet. They don't have a plan in place yet to play OHL games. Yeah. So the whole debate about the draft and everything is is still up in the air because the OHL is not playing games yet because of the Ontario Health Department. And they are, I think they were the last ones to sign on so to come back and play. it's a great point by you. I think it speaks to how government sometimes is inefficient. I think you and I have had this conversation before. And it, it really dealt with, you know, look, if, if you start to deal with guys or teams here in the States, you know, that have a huge outbreak and you have to keep postponing games. I think you and I have brought up the, the question, okay, well, at what point do you sit there and just say, you know, as long as there aren't symptoms you've got to get these games in and maybe you let them play or maybe you let a couple of them play and the rest sit. What I'm saying is he, at some point, I think there's going to have to be a little risk involved in this. <laughs> you know, And when I say risk, yeah. these guys are getting tested. I, I think these guys are getting the best care. That was one of the things we talked about even during the bubble. These guys are going to have the best medical attention one could ask for. I think we have to start wrapping our heads around the idea that if you have a couple of guys who have tested positive or even more than a couple and we're now in June and we're in the playoffs and it's causing some issues as to whether or not you can actually get in these games for the playoffs. At that point, I think we know enough about this virus that for the most part, obviously there are exceptions, for the most part, these guys aren't affected that if they are, it's the symptoms are very slight, although I know there have been a couple of occasions where it hasn't been that way. What I'm saying is I think at some point they're going to have to look at this and say we have to feel a little bit comfortable with some risk involved in this because, to your point, I don't think Toronto, and we're using them as a specific example, is going to feel pretty good about playing playoff games somewhere else, not in Toronto, and you know maybe vice versa. And so I think the Canadian government's going to have to look at this and say, what are we comfortable with risk-wise to maybe bend the rules a little bit here and understand that these players are getting the best care possible. They are getting tested, but that at some point, all of us are going to have to start living our lives a little bit here and maybe no better example than, you know, watching pro sports start to get back to normal as well. And maybe one of the ways you do that is to, you know, lift some of these restrictions that they may have in two or three months. Well, and here's another question. Are the players vaccinated by the time we get to that point? Sure. Will there be enough vaccinations by the time we get to May that players will be on that list because they are performers. They do matter. We talked about this a year ago. Absolutely. Players are the product, right? So you want to make sure that they are kept in uh, the best health possible and, and kept free of this because with no players, there is no product. Um, I, I, I would venture to say, depending on how quickly Johnson Johnson gets their vaccine out, now gives three options of approved vaccinations for people to uh, go out and get. Do the players at that point, does the league step in and say at that point, okay, we need, a, you know, a thousand or whatever vaccinations. Can we do that without quote unquote jumping the line and getting our players and staff and coaches and everybody else 
vaccinated in time for that thought process to, to be there, even for the Canadian government. Because I even think, too, and you mentioned some of the cases, Rasmus Ristolainen and Buffalo. Yes, that was the hard, one that came to mind. Yes. Pretty hard. And there's also Marco Rossi, uh, a player for Minnesota, who was actually with Austria at the World Juniors. He actually went back to Austria because he's having problems um, with his, his, his breathing and his lungs and everything based on he's only 19 years old. So he is struggling. So there are certainly odd cases of athletes who have dealt with this. Um, but I think the biggest deal is not necessarily the players. Like if you have to go in and out of, of Toronto is, yeah. is the fans, right? Are you, are, can fans, can you bring a team in and even, even, you know, put them in a bubble esque situation where I know that the players aren't allowed to go out of their hotels on the road. They're not allowed to go out to restaurants and bars or whatever. You know, they're not even allowed really to go out for a walk in a city right now with those protocols. I don't see the league changing those protocols, even when we get to this deep into the calendar year and where things might sit in three or four months with that. Um, so the question is, is, does, is it worth it to bring these U.S.-based teams into a Canadian city if there's no fans there? Does it matter at that point? Right? Or can you take them to a U.S.-based city and just have them play out of that venue? That's the interesting thing to me because we've already seen the Raptors. The Raptors announced that they will play out the rest of their season here at Amelie Arena. The Blue Jays are sort of in limbo a little bit because they're going to start their season in Dunedin uh, at their minor league complex. That's where they're going to start their major league season for at least through the end of the uh, what middle of May, I think it is, and then reevaluate where things are at then. So you're already seeing that these teams aren't allowed to go in and out of their home cities. Different circumstances, for sure. Earlier in the county year, for sure. But that's where the, especially the Ontario government sits. Well, and you bring up valid points. And I think we all have to keep in mind that this is all designed to be back on track next year, where we're yep. not having these conversations. So maybe we've answered our question that maybe this year is going to still be a little restricted in terms of who's going to be playing where and if it's in a bubble scenario and if a team can't travel to the states or vice versa and you've got to find a neutral place to play I think that is on the table I think fans are on the table I think we are going to see fans in the arena for a Stanley Cup final where that ends up being I don't know here's the other scenario are players is it mandatory for them to get vaccinated I don't like, think they'll make it mandatory because it, it, that would be another interesting situation. You know, if, if the league is rushing to get vaccinations and um, I mean, I would think you would you would probably assume most of those guys would get it. But, you know, there might be a few guys who are like, listen, I just, you know, I don't feel comfortable with it right now. I'm not sure uh, there needs to be some more testing on it. You know, I'll take my chances. I'm still relatively young. I don't feel like it's a big deal. Like, is there going to be mandates coming from those individual teams? You know, and if yeah. if the league's looking at it in a different way and says, look, are they going to mandate every player gets vaccinated? What do you do if what it, what would you do if you were the league and, and Connor McDavid came out and said, I just I don't want to get vaccinated. It's my choice. <laughs> but you I, had a role in place and you're like, I want everybody to get vaccinated. Yeah, I, I think the league is going to be OK with personal choices as long as the personal choice is 95 percent saying no. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I create that creates a little bit of an issue uh, dealing with it at that point. But I, I think the league, and I think I've even read somewhere that the league has kind of come out and said, 
privately that they will not make this a mandatory situation when it gets to that point. They will just strongly recommend it. <laughs> it will be strongly urged to get done. And, and look, I, I think with, with the Ritz-Wadis situation, I think that maybe they get some attention of players that maybe might have been on the fence about it, you know, seeing yeah. how he dealt with them. He's back. I mean, Ritz-Wadis finally, thankfully, came back and, and played his first game with the Sabres uh, in the last couple of days. Uh, played over 20 minutes as well. So it, it is something that he had to work through. But I, I don't wonder if that gets some of the players attention and say, well, maybe I do need this vaccination. And if that's the case, that's, um, you know, you make the league safer, you make the team safer. And look, I think the league, after the initial situations, especially with the Bevels and the Sabres, uh, the Flyers in particular, the, the most recent teams that have had to shut down um, because of it, uh, I, I think that they've put these stricter protocols in place now. And knock on wood, we've, we haven't seen any major situations here in the last few weeks. And I think that's good news moving forward. I think that they have an idea now of how to deal with a protocol situation, just as we saw with the NFL and just as we saw with Major League Baseball last summer. You you have to learn to adapt if, you, if these the initial protocols you put in place aren't working the way you want them to you know, put a different situation in play. And I think that the league has done that. We've seen it. Like these players have showed up on their team meetings with their masks on and they take them off to talk to us and they put them back on. So I, I think the league has an idea of how to handle this now. Um, I don't know if we're going to see another outbreak that's going to shut a team down for a couple of weeks. I hope that's the case uh, as we're not even halfway through the schedule yet. Uh, but, but I think that there's continues to be light at the end of whatever tunnel We've all found ourselves in for the past year, uh, and I think one of them is this vaccination to get fans back in the building and get back to at least normal feel, close to a normal feel as we can think of uh, at this point in, in this whole pandemic. Hey, let's get to a couple questions here before we, we sign off, and uh, you can use the hashtag AskEE, and we can answer these questions throughout the week for sure on our next podcast. Uh, Jerry wants to know with Sorelli back in the lineup, is that the regular lineup you think we'll see moving forward? And I guess by lineup, he means players in Correct. line or line line situations. Basically, okay. I um, think basically what we saw, I think in Dallas uh, against Dallas, uh, on Saturday, I, I think, I think it is for the most part. I think the biggest question is how does Matthew Joseph adapt playing center? It is a new position for him. He hasn't played it since his junior years. Uh, we've seen him play now what, uh, almost a half dozen times. He's been that fourth-line center. Um, I, I think it depends on that comfort level. I mean, I continue to like Jamel Smith. I continue to wonder why he's not getting some more playing time. I know the salary cap situation plays into it right now. The waiver wire situation plays into it now with him. Because if you call him up on a non-emergency basis, you have to put him on waivers to go back through. Uh, I believe that he probably is the 13th forward on this team right now, as long as Mitchell Stevens remains out. Um, but I, I, I think for the most part, you can expect that to be the lineup. We'll see you know, what, how Alex Volkov uh, starts to trend here in the second half of, of this season and, and does his game continue to improve does he dip i think those are the biggest question marks for me but certainly the top nine those are definitely the top top nine forwards um, probably close to the line construction we might see some you know moving pieces here and there but for the most part uh i feel pretty good with those top nine players pat maroon on the fourth line the question is who plays fourth line center and who plays the wing especially when mitchell stevens comes back 
Lastly, this question from Bob. He wants to know, what do you make of Blake Coleman playing on the first line? Is that them just mixing up the lines? Well, that certainly was the case uh, coming off that shutout against Carolina, just to kind of give a, a different look, a different feel to kind of, kind of maybe snap some players back into attention um, with new line mates. Because sometimes you do get stale. This is, this is a big reason why you don't see set lines on teams this year because coaches do not hesitate if they feel something is being stale and in capacity to switch things around and get players moving, uh, just kind of get their attention a little bit more and kind of get them thinking maybe a little bit more out there. Um, but Blake Coleman, he, he was a top six guy in Jersey. He can put up top six numbers. He is a two-time 20-goal scorer. Uh, I, it was interesting to see him get some power play time in the last couple of games while Anthony Sorelli was out. He actually scored that power play goal on Wednesday's game against Carolina. Uh, Blake Coleman's an energy player, and that energy is going to be there no matter what line he plays on. But I think being in, in a little bit more of an offensive role, uh, I think that kind of suits his game as well. Even on this team with so many offensive players, uh, I like I like Blake Coleman that role. Uh, he, he was moved back to the line with uh, Yanni Gordon, Barclay Goodrow for Saturday's game against Dallas. We'll see how things move uh, here looking forward. Uh, but I, I like Blake uh, Blake in the top six role. Uh, it's just on this team is so much. Yeah. I like the shoot first. I like the shoot first mentality. I think he gives you that flexibility. My my gut tells me once the playoffs start, he'll be on that third line where he typically is with Gord and and Goodrow. But if the team is slumping in any way, I think Coleman might be that that first guy up, so to speak, to to mix things up. Yep, and uh, we have one more here from Thomas as well. Uh, do you think there is a chance they will keep the divisions and add Seattle's Canadian division? Let's get back to the old format and playing everyone else. I will say this, Greg, I don't know how you feel about this. I hope not. I hope we don't have an all-Canadian division because for all the reasons we've mentioned before, I don't. I think it's bad for the league as a whole. It's great for the Canadian market. It's great for the Canadian television stations. I'm sure that their ratings this year on Sportsnet and PSN Regionals have just been through the roof because every night there's a Canadian matchup and they make they make so much of the, the Canadian – teams when they play against each other uh that it, it dominates their new their sports news cycle you know what's going on with the canadian teams so in that aspect i hope it doesn't because i think it, it's it's allowing canadian market in particular and in some other markets too to not ignore the rest of the league but definitely not pay anywhere near as attention to the rest of the league so i i'm hopeful and i'm pretty sure that this is not something that's going to stick around i think they're going to go back to the, the divisions the way they were before and just add seattle to the west we already know arizona is going to move to accommodate that for the central division and put seattle in in the pacific uh, and i think that's the best way to approach this yeah i do too and i think you know those canadian teams want to get back to playing in the lightning division too you've got a, what, at least three of them and <laughs> it'd be uh, some great theater it'd be a shame to miss out on playing against the lightning going back to those original divisions so i i agree with you i think you need to go back and uh it was a nice experiment but i think in the long run it's not good for the league to have that seclusion and that isolation with the canadian teams and then the other teams here in the states well can you imagine how deep the atlantic division would be this year with the start that the Bruins are off to and look, you got to take into context their opponents right now. Um, but with, with Toronto and the way that they're playing with the start that Montreal got off to um, Buffalo had some hope with some of the changes they made with Taylor Hall. I know it hasn't played out for a very, uh, very number of reasons for the Sabres, but 
the Atlantic Division would have been awful off the top of Florida. Would have been a tough, tough division this year if things had been in uh, at, at a normal situation. And how great of entertainment would that have been? It's a good point. It's a good point. It's it might be the most competitive division if everybody was back together in an uh, original year. And uh, I think there's there's credence to what we've been saying about getting this this back next year. I, I think they will, and I think actually you'll see some markets really thrive because of that. Yep. And uh, before we sign off, I want to make sure we take care of our sponsor here, BigManscaped.com, uh, who tell you that, hey, fellas, we are in the thick of winter and storms are brewing. It looks like one to three inches are in the forecast when you trim that hibernation bush that's taking place in your pants. Luckily, our partners at Manscaped specialize in products to make sure you're walking around town with beautiful snowballs. <laughs> trim, I like that. I actually wear my uh, Manscaped t-shirt around. And um, it's uh, I get a lot of chuckles, but I get a lot of thumbs up to me because I think a lot of people appreciate <laughs> appreciate their services and what they provide. I know I do. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, and, and certainly you know the cologne, like the cologne is uh, is a great smell. It's got a great scent. No doubt. As as I said, I I wore it to the rink the other day, and uh, on my walk in, I got some head turned as I walked by. I don't necessarily know if that's a good thing or a bad thing in my case, but I would like to think it's yeah, as long as, well, look, hey, male, female, it doesn't matter. You know, it's just a, it's a compliment to the cologne. That's right. That's right. So make sure you use uh, the promo code BOLTS at manscaped.com. You get 20% off any order plus free shipping. Uh, check out all their great products. It's a great line of products. It's, it's beyond just the, uh, the lawnmower uh, and everything else that they have. They have some great line of products. So check them out. Use the promo code BOLTS for 20% off and free shipping as well. All right, brother. Until next time, I'll see you at the rink. Yeah, uh, well, I won't see you at the rink for a couple weeks. At least six days, right? Six games. Yeah, well, yeah, it's the 13th. And hopefully, hopefully, by the time we get back there, we'll be talking about some fans in the building. I think it's going to get to that case, but uh, yeah. it's always great to see you at the rink. Absolutely. And we'll do another podcast in between then, so make sure you keep those questions rolling and ask EE. Hashtag ask EE. Sounds good. All right, everybody. Thanks, uh, as always, for listening to this. Make sure you hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast, whether it's Google, whether it's Apple, whether it's Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Hit the rate button. Give us the five-star review. It means a lot to us. Make sure you check out our sponsor, Manscaped.com. We'll be back with another LightningInsider.com podcast next week. Until then. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.